Coming up this episode. Concierge is really about um, it's a gatekeeper. Concierge is it's actually directing the patients and assisting the patients uh, in their care. This is the Doctorpreneurs Podcast. The Doctorpreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Jasper Lodge Care Centers Malaysia. Managed by doctors, Jasper Lodge Care Centers provide loving, trustworthy and quality care and treatment to all their residents. Looking for a professional aged care facility to look after your elderly loved ones? Find a Jasper Lodge near you at Talingjaya, Sri Kembangan, Penang, Kuching, Johor Bahru and Kuantan. Get your free care consultation with Jasper Lodge Care Centers by calling 015-4873-8450. 015-4873-8450. Or visit jasperlodge.com.my. We are here to help. The Doctorpreneurs Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Malaysia, sending trained caregivers to your home. Managed by doctors and aged care experts, Pillar provides experience and compassionate caregiving in the comfort of your loved one's home for the short term or longer. For a free, no-obligation care consultation with Pillar, call or WhatsApp us at 01111-288-059 or visit us online at PillarCare.com. Pillars, your extended family. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Pranors podcast. My name is Dr. Lim and as usual with me is my co-host, Mr. Andrew Mastrandonas. Yeah, this episode, uh, we're going to talk about something very interesting that is, I think, um, a part of a medical service that is really not discussed enough in Malaysia, but is equally as crucial as uh, getting you know, acute care in the hospital. Um, what I'm talking about is called a post-discharge service. That means it's uh, after someone goes through treatment in the hospital and, uh, you know, there will, become, there will come a stage whereby they have to be discharged from the hospital and go home. And, you know, during that stage, uh, very little focus has been, or emphasis has been put on. So together with us here today, we are very honoured to have uh, Dr. Harun or Dr. Noor Ainita Harun. Uh, she is an expert in post-hospitalization care, post-discharge care and concierge medicine. These are somewhat, I think, newer phrases of uh, and a newer branch of medicine in in uh, that is not so commonly known to us in Malaysia. So, Dr. Harun, welcome to the show. Welcome, Dr. Lim. Yeah. And Andrew. Thank you for being here. So, um, Dr. Harun, do you mind like kind of introducing yourself, you know, where are you at? Where did you come from? You know, what's your background and how you ended up in this very interesting branch of medicine, which is post-discharge care? Thanks very much, Dr. Lim, for asking me. Um, um, where shall I start now? Okay. Um, I have been a doctor mm-hmm. working in the hospitals in Malaysia, one of the many branches of big hospitals yeah. in Malaysia and uh, mainly in the field of internal medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So generally, I was very lucky mm-hmm. to have been sent to do um, research on post-discharge care in Cardiff University okay. some years ago. So I think from then on, I realized that there is so much uh, importance in taking care of the patients after they are discharged from the clinic or even from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now, um, just about last year, mm-hmm. during the COVID period, mm-hmm. I think uh, it is very, very important for us to understand uh, when patients are being discharged from the hospital after they had a bout of COVID or any other ailment, what happens to them at home. Mm-hmm. Um that is why I have actually started uh, Kuala Lumpur Medical Concierge mm-hmm. Syndrome Rahad mm-hmm. uh, to address these problems. Okay. Um, maybe you could just walk with us a little bit through how a discharge process is like and at which point do you come in and kind of facilitate the rest of the process? 
Yeah, thank you for that mm. very interesting question. I think many a time, um, I mean, people like me, once upon a time, really, we take for granted mm -hmm. how we discharge our patients. You're talking about doctors taking for granted. Uh, I'm talking about myself okay. and perhaps some... I'm guilty for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, it's just about uh, many of us, I think, when we go through medical schools, we're not really really taught about how we discharge a patient appropriately. Yeah, I come to think of it, I've not, we have not learned that in medical school, right? Not at all. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, and I think maybe that is not really at that time when we did medical... Uh, classes, you know, it, we didn't think of it as something very fundamental. Mm -hmm. But actually, when we think about it, it's the transition of care from hospital to home. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important, actually. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's outpatient or inpatient. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, where am I now? Why is it important, both outpatient and inpatient? It's because that episode of care from the hospital, it doesn't matter whether you are seeing a doctor in the clinic or in the ward, after that care, what happens to the patient at home? Mm -hmm. Many of us take for granted, I mean, I'm talking about myself yeah. okay. <laughs> as a practitioner, uh -huh. we think the patient will go home mm -hmm. with their goodie pack of medicine and follow what we order them to do mm -hmm. or advise them to do. Mm -hmm. So it is not so actually. Mm -hmm. um, from our experience, Dr. Lim, I'm, I'm sure you can vouch for that. Um, we find that patients uh, do not really understand, perhaps, what, ha what they have to do. Mm -hmm. They are not compliant mm -hmm. <laughs> with the medicine. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they are missed appointments. Yeah, so what happens during a discharge episode, as far as I could recall, while waiting, uh, working in the hospital, is we write them a, a, a note and tell them, okay, come come back and see me in, in a month or a week or, or, or three months, depending on the condition. And that's kind of where it ends, right? For for me as a doctor in the hospital. Then after that, I have completely surrendered control back to the patient and leave it for, leave it to him or her to... There's no of, more to the process than that? After the discharge, I, I don't think so, Dr. No, right? That's, no, but I mean, even in the hospital, it's just a note and here's your meds and goodbye. Pretty much, and, and here's your follow-up. That's all. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, actually, it all depends on the patient's situation at that time. Mm -hmm. To be honest, there are too many patients out there mm -hmm. where medical practitioners, doctors, or even nurses for themselves, specialists or medical officers, we just can't handle everything mm -hmm. in the hospital itself or even at home. So to be honest, the most important thing is to empower the patient. Mm -hmm. This is one of the key things for the doctor to do mm -hmm. or the healthcare professional that's taking care of the, the patient, like the nurse or the allied healthcare professionals, is to help empower the patient and as to make them take care of themselves at home and to be in charge. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think of this analogy. When you are in the hospital, you are being recharged. You're recharging yourself. But when you are discharged, you have to be in charge of yourself at home. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and so how does a discharge expert like you come into play then in this whole discharge process? So the first thing actually from the research that we have done, we have found out that the most important thing is for the doctor who is handling the patient. I would say the anchor doctor, the main doctor taking mm -hmm. care of the patient. Some patients have got multiple problems, mm -hmm. but there's always the key doctor. The I'm, primary physician. Exactly. Yeah. The primary physician, which is receiving the doctor after discharge, and also the key specialist mm -hmm. from that particular, um, whether it's nephrology or neurology, taking care of the patient. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing is the discharge summary mm -hmm. and also the key points to ask oneself, that means the doctor himself or herself, to ask a few questions or mm -hmm. tick boxes. Okay. Uh, it's a checklist, actually. Okay, okay. And you as the facilitator will prepare the checklist for the discharging doctors from the hospital and basically facilitate the transition from hospital to community. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, i give you an example, mm -hmm. yeah, Dr. Lim. Many a time, there are many, many factors that influence discharge decisions. Mm -hmm. So, that's the crux of it. 
What influences a doctor to discharge a patient? And many a time we don't realize, sometimes we keep the patient more than they should be in hospital. Well, yeah, that happens a lot in Malaysia, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's something that is global. Okay. Yeah, because we are just uh, influenced by many factors. It could be emotional, it could be your intuition, mm-hmm. and it could be your experience. In your experience, you do not want to discharge the patient. You're afraid that the patient might come again uh, with a problem once they reach home. Mm-hmm. But of course, for everything that we do, even in medicine, there needs to be some sort of a guidance, a rule, a checklist. Okay? It doesn't need to be so complex. It should be just a very easy-peasy checklist, less than 30 seconds to complete, or even a minute. And at least you have done that uh, quality control mm-hmm. on, onto yourself and for the patient. I'll give you an example. There is a book by... Um, Mr. Atul Gawande, he's a doctor actually, Dr. Atul Gawande, and his book is called The Checklist. Okay. So I would really recommend everyone out there hearing on to this podcast to be buying that book and reading it because Mm -hmm. in everything that we do, especially in making really big decisions, you need to be uh, aware, self-aware that you are making a rather major decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, technically for us, maybe we have been discharging many patients a day. We do not realize that it may make a big difference mm-hmm. in someone else's life. Mm-hmm. So, um, like a pilot is about to start off to fly a plane, he's got a checklist. Like a surgeon who's about to operate on someone, they should have a checklist to mm-hmm. make sure that they're operating on the right leg. And for mm-hmm. discharge as well, there is already an outpatient discharge checklist Okay. that you have to fill in. I mean, not have to, that it would be good if you fill in to ensure that your discharge is appropriate. Mm, okay. Okay. And Dr. Aaron, that is what you studied uh, when you are doing your PhD in the UK, right? Yes. It's very interesting because this is like before meeting Dr. Aaron, I've never came across... Uh, something like this before my entire medical career I've been a doctor for 10 years and uh, and we know that we know community care community health we know hospital tertiary kind of set up health but we never thought about what's in between and until I met her and I learned oh wow there's actually a whole field of study in, in the UK on this in the US we have this whole field called discharge planning okay it's a whole area of study and implementation for hospitals is that not something we have here in Malaysia? We do discharge planning, I think. Uh, it, again, it's, I think when it comes to discharge planning, I know there are some doctors that goes out of their way to make sure that the house is suitable, the rooms are suitable. I know some of doctors that do that, but I don't think it's very common practice. Most of them, it's like at a stage whereby they call the family into the hospital for a conference and tell them, okay, you know what? This is all you need to do. And please bring it up tomorrow. You know, that, that is, I think, more common than not, right? So being a family member when, let's say, I'm not a trained me- uh, medical professional and I'm put in that kind of situation, what do I do next? I can actually contact you, right, Dr. Arun? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best to give the answer. So given that not all doctors may be as thorough about this as other doctors, what are some of the questions that family members should be asking as they're looking at discharging a family member? Right. It's very interesting that you're asking this question, Andrew. And uh, my study was really about a qualitative study where we interviewed um, consultants all over England and Wales and also patients themselves. Uh, And we did a very detailed uh, analysis of the interviews that we had. It's a face-to-face interview of about almost 100 uh, patients and uh, they're mainly dermatology patients mm-hmm. actually and um, 40 consultants dermatologists all over um, the UK um, and I thank all the consultants uh, and the patients who mm-hmm. have had uh, gone through this process of answering the interview questions um, and, and and what we found out was generally it's the whole there are some papers out there who, whoever's interested 
they can look up the uh, British Journal of Dermatology and also the BMJ. But what is very interesting is that the patient wants to know what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. my diagnosis? Mm-hmm. These are the questions that family members usually need to ask. They need to know. The don't, don't they already know that by the time they're being discharged? Not many times. Not, not all the time. Okay. We, we have something like Dr. Lim, yeah? We have something called a professional diagnosis and differential diagnosis. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. You know, sometimes like uh, when I'm dealing with clients as well, we can tell them, oh, you have Lewy body dementia. Uh, or your father has Lewy body dementia. I can't be discharged tomorrow. Then when, then, and then you go and ask the patient or someone else ask the, the family, what, what's wrong with your father? They'll be like, oh, here's the discharge summary. <laughs> they, can't, they can't because they, they don't understand like um, what their father is suffering from. Lewy body dementia is something that is we take for granted. We know very well as doctors what Lewy body dementia is. But that's not really common, uh, not a common phrase or common term that is being used outside the medical faculty. Where, whereby, that's why I said, I think you, that's why you said it's important for the, for the doctors in the hospital to kind of make sure that the, the patients or their family know exactly what's wrong with them. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, on that note, Dr. Lin, that's mm-hmm. very interesting because this is where communication is so important. Mm-hmm. It seems that we're taking it for granted that the patient understands. Yeah. That's one. But the number two important part is actually do we actually have a diagnosis? Because we're not, we not there as a, you know, a person who says, ah, I know with one admission, I know that what you're suffering from. Or with one clinic episode, I know what you're suffering from. Many a time, the patient needs to come back for follow-up so that we can uh, follow up and follow through whether is this really eczema or is it really psoriasis? Mm-hmm. Or is it some kind of a, 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 a genetic problem, a skin genetic problem which you cannot diagnose mm-hmm. from one sitting? Mm-hmm. That's one. So we as doctors, as practitioners, need to be very open with the patient and say, look, I do not know your diagnosis at this time. So for this episode, I do not know what your diagnosis is, but these are my differentials. These are the possibilities. So the, the patient will go off feeling, okay, at least, you know, the doctor is trying his best to find out. Mm-hmm. And that will also encourage the patient to come back mm-hmm. for a follow-up. Now, if there is many, many episodes, which there has been cases where patients come back for many, many years, the diagnosis has not been secured, has not been confirmed, mm-hmm. and this frustrates patients yes. and family members. understandably. So that's one. The other thing would be language. You see, even in the UK, they're very multiracial. There are Pakistanis, there are Indians, and there are Arabs, you know, but they're all British, and they can also be people who are coming uh, for uh, tourists, you know, and also in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So there must be at least an interpreter, somebody to interpret, you know, the language, in the language, which we don't really have it in Malaysia at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we take for granted and say, oh, everyone speaks English, but actually not all. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, besides post-discharge, you also do concierge medicine which is, I think, a rather unusual term that we don't really often hear of in Malaysia. Maybe in the US, you will be more familiar with concierge medicine? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. No, maybe, uh, Dr. Harun, maybe you can explain to us a little bit about um, what concierge medicine is and what you actually do as a concierge medical provider. Okay, I, I think I'll let Andrew give a little background about concierge <laughs> medicine in the US and then I can take it from there. Well, I don't know if I, I, I know what it is. I don't know if I have expertise on it, but in America, you would hire a provider directly to offer a sort of higher level, more personalized care, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes in your home, potentially in a clinic. But I see it as sort of a high value service mm-hmm. that people who can afford it would tend to hire. And it's very personalized, right? It's like Very personalized. Mm-hmm. You actually get the doctor's cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Customized and tailor-made according to the client's needs. Right, well. and they're yeah. available when you need them. Yeah. And they're willing to pay for it. Okay, okay. And is this something that is relevant to what you do? Yes, it is very. It's like this. I- I'm glad that Andrew gave the, you know, <laughs> the overall <laughs> okay. uh, picture what concierge is really is. Concierge is really about, um, it's a gatekeeper, actually. Concierge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually directing 
the patients and assisting the patients uh, in their care. You see, because with concierge medicine in the US, it could be a little bit different from the concierge medicine that we have here in Malaysia. Okay. So what, what the keywords were, personalized mm -hmm. and of high value. Mm -hmm. So personalized is personalized medicine, as you very well know, Dr. Lim, is the way to go now. Not to everyone is the same. Mm -hmm. And with the genetic uh, uh, test that we have now, we suddenly realize that, oops, you know, I, I don't react to this medicine as well as you do. Yeah. You agree with me? Mm -hmm. yes. Precision medicine, uh, what do you call it? Targeted therapy. Yeah. Yeah. All, mm -hmm. all the works. Mm -hmm. Personalized medicine, precision therapy, because of the fact that we're getting more and more data. Yeah. So is this somewhat analogous to a concierge and hotel? If you need a restaurant reservation, if you need a reservation for a show, you're kind of the gatekeeper for all of those services. You don't necessarily perform them, but you're the gatekeeper. You can say that. We're trying to go towards that. Of course, I'm not being very altruistic <laughs> at this point, but honestly, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. Especially for people who don't really understand the services that we have in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Someone from wherever, you know, they just came and they do not know where to go, mm -hmm. which clinic to go, mm -hmm. what do I have? So they can come along and, and call the number and say, look, I have something, what do I do next? It's a decision-making process. So would your, your clients tend to be more local people or do you have some foreigners as well? We have both. We're mm -hmm. just starting out. And it's uh, inclusive. It's not exclusive. I know in concierge medicine in most countries, the people that can pay out of pocket, they pay for the higher value. They do not want to wait. Waiting times are being cut. They know they're getting straight to their doctor. And they know that the doctor knows themselves, right? Can you get me a COVID shot? I'm afraid not. I can't get you a COVID shot. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll 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 do some dealings behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ministry of Health, don't come after, don't come after me. So I I could see the potential of tying, uh, post discharge care to concierge medicine, because essentially. Many of the times, when a person is discharged at, back home, what they need is kind of like someone to come in and design the care for them and then source the providers for them to, to continue on the care. may not just be from post-discharge. It could be also from, like for example, I, I am someone that is maybe having a medical condition that is recently being diagnosed. Could be diabetes, for example. And diabetes is a very complex medical condition but I've maybe gotten my diagnosis from the GP and I can afford it. So I could call you as well, doc. Yes. And you then can tell me, all right, what's next? Not just going back to the GP and getting medication. What else can I do to kind of like manage my medical condition? Like finding a nutritionist potentially. Dietitian, nutritionist. Yeah. These are the things, you know, di diabetic educators, you know, all these are potential partners that could come onto the concierge platform. And you can uh, kind of source, uh, uh, what do you call that? Source the vendors or source the providers for, for your clients that requires this kind of concierge services. And I don't have to worry because it's all taken care of by her. You know, I just got to call her alone or, or her team, someone from a team and say, okay, um, you know, now it's, this is the situation, you know, I need this. Tell me what I need. Sometimes I don't even know what I need, right? So I need someone from your side to tell me what I need and, and arrange that for me. Yeah, so I think that's that's a, a very interesting. Uh, uh, Why do you think this field has potential? The concierge service is it because doctors are just too busy? They don't have time for patients. What do you see? That, what issue is this solving? Do you think? Thank you so much, Andrew, for asking that. I think um, let me put it this way: um, doctors are really busy. Yes, I do agree. And patients are getting more and more information on the internet. Patients today are not like patients of yesteryears. So they do want some form of solution to the problem that they have. They're more aware. But they do not have a point, a checkpoint, where they can say, okay, if I, if I call this number, at least I can half of 50% of what I need to know can be inverted commas solved in some senses so let, let's put it this way I have had patients 
um, who doesn't really know what to do with the diagnosis of a tumor in his brainstem. Okay, yes. I, I wouldn't know. Would I? So, yeah, probably not. Yeah. No, well, here's the thing. Uh, for me, growing up in America, we had a family doctor we had for many years. And that family doctor, usually a man, would serve as the gatekeeper. Is that just not true anymore? Yes, we do have doctors, GPs here in Malaysia, and some general practitioners are family doctors. Uh, it's just it's just how it is, because uh, in Malaysia, somehow, we do not have a family doctor mm -hmm. dedicated to this group of people in the community. Am I right, Dr. Lim? Right? Yeah, it's actually very client-driven. That means I prefer which doctor I go to, and I may not stick with one doctor uh, forever. It's not like, like I understand in Australia, it's like each clinic will be designated to care for a community. And if you're, if you're in, on, on your ID, this is your address, you can only go and see this doctor if you want to claim some form yeah, of... Uh, we weren't quite like that, but everyone in my family for years growing up until I was like 18 or 20 went to the same doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not as common here in Malaysia. I think there are some people that do, do that in Malaysia as well, but generally, I think the switching cost is very low. So some people, they will just hop from one clinic to another and not necessarily have the kind of family doctor loyalty that you experience in the States. Yeah, uh, in Malaysia, it's a bit different. You you can pick and choose your doctor. You can be living in the Guam Musang and you can see a doctor in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Guam Musang is Kelantan. It's like what, seven hours drive away? Eight hours drive? Okay, yes. yeah, all right. Uh, you know, it really can choose your general practitioner. So and that is private practice, lah. Yeah. If it, if we are talking about uh, government clinics, then we have to kind of follow the the address of which government clinic to go. Okay. All exactly. right. Exactly. So the private setting, you can choose your doctor. But uh, to be honest, Doctor Lim, I think uh, as we talk mm -hmm. now, we hope that one day uh, patients would be dedicated. Mm -hmm. uh, that is pers my personal hope. Actually, mm -hmm. that patients would go to their family doctor dedicated to that area so that that family doctor will become the concierge doctor. Mm, mm, yes, so that, I think... That's the whole idea, actually. I think that can be done, right? And I think you have some plans and some vision for that as well. I think that's really interesting. Now, um, just maybe to rewind a little bit, you were saying that if someone comes to you with a brainstem tumor, for example, if let's say I, got, I have some headaches, I've gone to the hospital, I get a, got an MRI done and I, I'm diagnosed with a brainstem tumor now and I'm not too sure what to do next. You know, I probably get it done in a, in a diagnostic center, you know, get the scans done in a diagnostic center. And uh, I'm not sure what to do next. So now I give you a call, uh, Dr. Harun, can you help? So can you please explain to us, like, what are the next few steps that you would do for me uh, in this kind of situation to kind of paint a better picture for our listeners to understand how the process flow is uh, 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 as a concierge doctor, what you can do during this uh, process. Yeah. So, okay, we'll say that the patient has got a tumor in the brain, mm -hmm. and that's quite complex, you know, it's not something simple. Mm -hmm. So, this is a real thing, actually. Uh, it has happened. So, if you have a tumor in the brain, you would have, if you had seen a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, you would have had a, um explanation as to whether you should be undergoing surgery or not. Mm -hmm. Now, the question, the, the point here is, that's good. Because someone's taking care of you. Mm -hmm. You have uh, somebody who has seen you. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you've gone on your own and you suddenly find out that you have a tumor in the brain. Okay. Now, at that point, a patient can choose, of course, who, which practitioner that they should be going to or seeing. Yeah. So, the, the whole concept of concierge medicine is really about trying to advise the patient. You have this problem. We would suggest that you see a neurosurgeon mm -hmm. or we would suggest that you see an orthopedic spine surgeon. Now, at this point, you see, this is where the concept of shared decision-making comes in. Mm -hmm. the, the, the paternalistic care, the care where the doctor decides does everything, that's the decision, mm -hmm. is long gone. Mm -hmm. You know, today, we have to understand patients are more uh, informate, they have more information, they want to be involved, they are aware. So they have to make the decisions together with the doctor. And there is such a thing called shared decision-making. Mm -hmm. Of course, with the patient's in interests, the patient-centric care. Yeah. 
So, so, so when the patient has got a tumor anywhere else or any decision, so the first thing when they call up concierge, we will, of course, we will ask the patient, shall we go on the, you know, uh, can I see you in person, face-to-face, or maybe you prefer a teleconsultation? Then from then on, we can actually relate this problem to our concierge medicine specialists. Mm-hmm. We have a group of specialists who are mm-hmm. saying, well, looking at this and after the physical examination is done, we feel that for this tumor, you need to do surgery okay. as opposed to a radio laser surgery. Because for this patient, of course, he doesn't want to do open surgery. Mm-hmm. But because the tumor is sitting right at the brainstem and is already impinging over the respiratory center, mm-hmm. doing a laser you know, therapy will cause edema, will cause swelling of the area. And mm-hmm. that's not good. So you need to do an open surgery to release, you know, and give some space. Okay. So these are the kind of things that perhaps patients are not, uh, they're very confused. So you would actually, on behalf of the client, go and consult all these, your panel uh, experts, and then come back to him with a recommendation. That is one way, but it doesn't, it's not as easy as that. Okay. Usually... Uh, we will arrange for the patient mm-hmm. to see the neurosurgeon ah. or the neurologist in person with their scans. Well, that was my question is, who would you want the, palati- the patient to believe or to trust in if you're involved, maybe you have a panel involved, the physician they saw originally? How did, it seems a little complicated. Mm-hmm. Whom do you want the patient to believe? Yeah, I mean, who, who ultimately would make the decision? I mean, the patient would make the decision, but how do they know who to listen to? Who to listen to or how that works, yeah. Okay, over here, we're not asking the patient to make uh, a decision simply on their own, actually. That's the whole idea. The patient needs to have the right information at the right time for to make sure that they do the right decisions. It's called options. We have to give them options because if they just go to one setting and then if they are very very confident that they do want that doctor to take care of them we are not involved right that's my question you could run into having two different opinions on a matter right mm-hmm. exactly so but it's still going to be up to the patient to decide what yes, to do exactly and you don't have like any liability for that it's really up to the patient to decide yes of course we, we are not here to make the decision for the patient we're just giving the patients options as to their decision making but as a concierge are you offering medical advice um we are at the front end when patients call us we do give medical advice like any doctor will on teleconsultation but it is not a diagnosis we give medical advice so i think it's more of coordination so based on the data or information that the patient has presented to me this is what i think preliminarily and here's what i think you should do next to kind of go deeper or to, to understand the, your own condition better? These are the additional I diagnostic guess, tools that you may require. I guess maybe my question is coming from a very litigious society where people sue everyone for medical malpractice. Is it all, still ultimately up to the physician that you decide to go with? Well, yeah. Um, I guess liability-wise, if the patient decides to start suing everybody, you know, they can. But thankfully, Malaysia, we are not that litigious yet. Although it's getting more and more litigious, we are not at that stage whereby, you know, I hold you, I hold every single one, one of your words accountable. And many of the times, we, we as practitioners outside a clinical setting, you know, we, we don't actually uh, give, I don't call it consultation. I'm just giving you a, an opinion or a suggestion, right? So you can't sue me based on the suggestion that I'm giving you. At the end of the day, you still have to go through the due process of getting yourself diagnosed and coming up with a diagnosis and then make the decision from there. Yeah, but again, I think same as uh, Dr. Arun as well, when it comes to uh, suggesting, uh, when it comes to concierge medicine, it's more of like suggesting, coordinating, helping them piece things together so that they can more effectively and more efficiently get a diagnosis and and a treatment plan. Yeah, I think you said it very beautifully, Dr. Lim. It's actually uh, supporting the patient, coordinating care for the patient who's really sometimes in a limbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of patients are very well informed. They already know what they want. 
and they don't need our services. Mm -hmm. They can just go ahead with their consultant that they've seen, and we are not going into that area of support because we always value the patient's decision-making. Mm -hmm. We are actually more catering for those who are still confused, who is not sure whether they need to do surgery or not, simply because maybe they don't have the funds mm -hmm. or maybe they're, they're very scared, they do not want to undergo surgery, or they really don't understand. Yeah. So these are the patients, actually, in Malaysia. But as a concierge, if they wanted, you know, the, the best doctor in a specialty or the best hospital, the best room or all of the goodies, you can do that too, right? Of course, we try our best to say that, well, we give you what we think is the best sure. into our mind, but it's very oh, subjective. I say? Subjective, yeah. Uh, there's, it, to be honest, in Malaysia, there's no best doctor or best neurologist or best... Uh, we, we have magazines with rankings of best doctors and surgeons. Seriously? <laughs> it's not allowed... That's not allowed in Malaysia. It's a very celebrity thing in America. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So people pay concierges in America to get the best doctor or the best plastic surgeon oftentimes. Okay. And I think in Malaysia, we're not allowed to publish that kind of best or ranking system that yeah, we have. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. So in US, I think it's different. Yeah. So I have to get this very clear yeah. just in case bringing everyone back to the table. We are not saying that we're giving the best specialist to this Mm -hmm. person. We're just advising the patient, this is what you should do next, based on the consensus of the specialist that we have spoken to, mm -hmm. or that we have discussed your problem. So, in this case of this meningioma, is a brain tumor in the brainstem, five out of five neurosurgeons in Malaysia, whom we have consulted, and who has seen the patient face-to-face, -face, has said it's open surgery for the patient, mm. not radio laser surgery. Well, as a question, as a, as a concierge, do you have to transfer medical records to you so you can really evaluate the patient? We don't. At this moment, I think our electric health records are really still very much. Very premature. Okay, let's leave it at that. <laughs> oh, okay. So Ours are very not premature, but they're also not very good. Uh, yeah, but, but they are making a lot of money. Companies like Kaiser Permanente and all these kind of companies dealing with the medical records, they're making billions of dollars in the U.S., they are, but yeah. they're, they're still quite bad, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, it's very labor-intensive, actually. Yeah. What, whatever uh, we're trying to do here, it's very labor-intensive, and I hope uh, the public can appreciate uh, mm -hmm. what we're trying to do here. Because, technically, we are bringing the patient's details, the medical scans and everything, to the specialist mm -hmm. and with the patient along. Okay. So, we're like a medical advocate. Sometimes patients really want somebody to be beside them because they don't really understand the terminology. It's just They just want a concierge uh, advocate, somebody to help mm -hmm. out understanding the whole process. If you can afford concierge services, I think hands down is like 10,000 times better than Dr. Google, which many people go for... Uh, Go for go to nowadays to. He's my favorite doctor. To, <laughs> to get their medical level medical information from. And you know, one of our businesses we run is Pillar, um, which is a home caregiver service. So, do you find that the concierge service would apply to the elderly population and to their families? And also, maybe to add on to that question, um, do you also manage allied health caregivers like uh, nurses, uh, you know, medical assistants, phlebotomists, uh, caregivers under your concierge wing as well? Yeah, so very new and very young. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have that in our pipeline, in our roadmap. Of course, it's more, like I said, it's an inclusive thing mm -hmm. where we bring all the uh, allied healthcare providers, doctors and nurses on a platform and we are trying to collaborate and coordinate mm -hmm. in a very seamless manner mm -hmm. so that the patient doesn't feel stressed about going and jumping from one provider to another. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to cut short that process time. In Malaysia, that's really a concierge. I do not think Malaysia at this moment is at the level of the American concierge. Mm -hmm. But we hope to one day we can go up to that level yeah. where the value, the value of having somebody to be by your side and to advise you. Without getting into any details, uh, how does a person pay for a concierge service? How does that work? Okay. At the moment, it's all based on... Um, 
we, we see the patient and how much time we need to put in for that full episode of concierge service. Mm -hmm. So if your problem is very complicated and you have multiple problems, some patients have got multiple problems. They've got arthritis, they've got obesity, you know, they're obese and they've got multiple uh, diseases. So that's time consuming. That we have to learn about this whole thing produce a discharge summary so that this discharge summary can be brought by the patient to various other doctors. So obviously your services and what you charge would differ depending on whether it's sort of a one-time surgery and discharge or whether someone's managing a long-term disease exactly. and you, there would be ongoing management. Exactly, because it all depends on what you have. If you're coming for us for a one-time uh, opinion, must I do surgery for my back or is conservative treatment enough? So that would be just a one-off thing. But if you're somebody who needs post-discharge care after coming out from the hospital, so assuming you're coming to me and you're saying, okay, I've understood, I need surgery. So you go into the hospital, done your surgery, then you want post-discharge care. So that's where it's a whole loop. The whole ecosystem has to come in. So the charges are more. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, I think... Uh your organization if you could to kind of like have different family doctors in different parts of Malaysia all providing a certain standard level of care of uh, like as you said concierge kind of medicine concierge medical services I think this would definitely benefit a lot of Malaysians out there uh, you know especially in maybe smaller more rural areas where by getting to a tertiary hospital is not as convenient not as easy so uh, I could either go and take the risk traveling two hours to a, to a hospital and maybe get rejected by the specialist or I could go through a family uh, medical concierge practitioner to kind of help me set this up and tell me whether is this the right person, right special, specialty to go for, you know, and, and, and does this hospital have the right uh, services and ability to care for me or provide uh, or, or deal with my kind of medical condition. I guess that brings up the question though is who is this targeted to and can they afford it? Mm. You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're the expert. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Lim brought up a good point, but how many people in rural areas can afford this kind of service? That's very true. I, I think I'm trying to understand the inclusivity of this whole thing, to mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. We just really want to reach out. Really, Dr. Lim, I think you and I know those are the people who really need the help. That's true. And uh, I just hope whoever's listening out there, <laughs> um, we all know that as providers, the further they, they are from the main hospitals, the less potential care, good care they have. I've, we have all seen it. Patients have been diagnosed with uh, liver cancer or with prostate cancer, living very far away. They don't really know actually what should be done and I think the ministry has also lots of support in the rural area but still with all that support they, there must be a co coordinator uh, Ministry of Health just can't handle so much yeah I remember my stint in a district clinic in Sarawak mm -hmm. back uh, when back in 2014 or 2015 2014 mm -hmm. um, I was the only medical doctor there in the entire sub district of 24,000 population oh in Sarawak <laughs> But I was, I, was not, I, was, I was not trained and working in a government clinic. But I was not trained to provide concierge medical services. I was not trained to, to coordinate care. All I know how to do is, if I manage, I manage. If I can't manage, I refer. That's, that's, that's all I was uh, trained to do, you know. And, and coming to think about this, if I would have had concierge medical knowledge back, back then, I would have been able to help so many more of my clients to kind of get a more holistic kind of care approach, a more comprehensive kind of care for them. So, yeah, uh, to, but to answer your question, like, how many people can actually afford to pay? I think maybe a smaller segment now in, in Malaysia. But we do foresee that if this service can be more generalized and the cost can come down because if the GP is the one, if the local GP is the one servicing them, then we don't have to charge them thousands because we don't have to then go there and travel there and kind of carry out the concierge service. The GP can kind of do it where they are remotely. So that would definitely help bring down the cost. Well, that was my question. Mm -hmm. Should every hospital have a concierge on staff? Some hospitals do have some concierge services as well. Yeah, I'm not too sure about the details, but I think definitely, yes, it's a good idea. That would be very helpful. 
uh, we do have medical social workers that sometimes in their capacity do act as concierge to maybe help them uh, uh, coordinate finances, coordinate the post-discharge uh, arrangements, some of the, med- especially, but the, so for the medical social worker, they're primarily focused on the poor, the B40. Right. Yeah. But that's not the same as having a doctor who can coordinate care post-discharge or if you have a long-term illness or something. Not at all, not at all. That's, that's I think, on a very fundamental administrative level uh, that, uh, that the medical social worker does. But a doctor obviously could kind of like take care from head to toe, right, very comprehensively. Mm, just just one more thing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to take on from what Andrew said about mm-hmm. a doctor handling the whole thing. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Because when there is the whole ecosystem is being managed by the whole team, not just the medical social worker, but the whole team from top to toe. So it becomes very, very good. It becomes... Uh, the, the patient will be more empowered. Mm-hmm. He would understand his ailment better. And then the medical social worker is very happy mm-hmm. to have the doctor... You know, discussing, you know, you need to have this dialysis done. You need to have this surgery done. So when can we get the funds? Mm -hmm. And there's so many resources out there. Donors, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are willing to give money for this. Not just about posting on Facebook or posting. That's not the way we do it. Mm -hmm. We do it very discreetly without, you know, uh, you, you want to make the patient feel that they're not begging for money. They want to make, we want to make the patient feel that they're being cared for. That, that's, that's the whole aim. So mm-hmm. that's why with concierge medicine, it's really about doing seamless, coordinated care. And so every doctor who discharges a patient needs to give a very clear guideline. What is the short-term plan? What is the long-term plan? And that got to be communicated through the patient to the primary care doctor mm-hmm. wherever she or he lives and so that's a whole loop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and um, I know like most medical insurance medical card do cover up to a certain number of days for post-hospitalization care 90 days 120 days 180 days depending on the policy but have you come across any insurance that companies that are covering concierge services in Malaysia Oh, I've just started this business. I haven't gone through the insurance. Okay. <laughs> but but actually, to be honest, this is another ball game altogether, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. What do you think, Andrew? Well, is it is it covered in in the U.S. Concierge services? No, it's mostly direct pay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Out of pocket. And pay. I don't see insurance companies here handling this for a while because there are a number of other things we want them to cover that they don't yet. So, mm-hmm. unless they realize it's more cost effective to their bottom line over long term to do this. So proving that is going to be an issue, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's the whole point. The whole point of this kind of post-discharge support and concierge at the front end is actually to reduce cost. That's, that's the whole idea. And to make people feel that they're not very overly stressed mm-hmm. with trying to take out their pocket, their, their money to pay for things. Just because I'm poorer, I don't get the same benefits like a rich man does. Mm-hmm. See, it needs to be across the board. But I know it's very, very ambitious at this point. But uh, hopefully with little small steps, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the day, um, concierge medicine in Malaysia is not really for the rich only. <laughs> I mean, that it's for everyone mm-hmm. to enjoy. And so that uh, everyone, the primary care physician, the specialist, and the allied healthcare professionals can work in a concerted effort. It's just like an orchestrated effort where, you know, you play the violin and the piano and you play your role when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So I think if the medical care in Malaysia um, can be more coordinated and Mm -hmm. people are not working in silos and we are um, respecting each other's roles... I think it'd be very good. Don't you think so, Dr. Lin? I do agree. And the concierge medical doctor becomes the glue to kind of hold everything together in the middle. Exactly. And I think that's, uh, that's a brilliant way of uh, providing uh, holistic care to our clients. Now, uh, coming to the end of the episode, uh, Dr. Harun, is there any specific advice or um, message that you'd like to get out to the Malaysians uh, or even international listeners out there in handling their discharges, in handling you know, their medical condition or, or looking for concierge services. Is there any specific message that you would like to give out to them? I think the most important thing is to ensure that when you're discharged, there's a better way from the clinic or from the hospital or from a nursing home. You need to know your treatment plan. 
treatment plan. Yeah, okay. That's, that's so important. And you need to know what is your short-term goal, what is your long-term plan. And if the doctor or the provider has not told you about your treatment plan, you have to ask, is your right? Mm-hmm. Unless you know what is being done to yourself, unless you know what is to be done to yourself for you to get better, then only uh, things will will work. Because there's no one's going to take care of you except yourself. To be honest, in in yeah, and even in America, it's still here's your medicine. Go do these two or three things. And that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not a coordinated plan. It's <laughs> as if they want to kind of move to the next patient. Mm-hmm. And and uh, if our listeners would like to kind of reach out to you and um, under, to understand more about concierge services or post-discharge care or to maybe engage your services, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, yes. First, first of all, um, I think you can call this number. Mm-hmm. You can just uh, read out the number and then we will just put it at the description in our podcast. Uh, we will put your number and the, the link on the podcast description. Uh, so that you are, so that our listeners will be able to to uh, reach you via there as well. And your website, maybe you can share your website first. Okay, so for the time being, like I said, we haven't got a website yet. Okay. So we were in the process of doing that. Mm-hmm. I think the number will be on the website. Okay. So for the time being, perhaps they can call uh, this number zero one three eight three seven. Two three seven seven. Yeah. Okay. Let me repeat that. Repeat that. Zero one three eight three seven two three seven seven. And they look for you, right, Doctor Aaron? Yes. This that's the number that I use. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Andrew, do you have any other oh, questions? It's been great. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much once again, uh, Doctor Harun, for being for spending time with us here to talk about uh, post discharge care and concierge medicine. That is. I think somewhat being overlooked uh, when it comes to talking about healthcare in Malaysia. And we hope that through this episode, we are able to bring more awareness. And you could also share this episode with your potential clients in the future about what you do and so that they can understand better and they know how to seek for concierge care or post-discharge care when they need to. It's great. Thank you for being with us. Am I doing the closing? What are we doing here? You are doing the closing, yes. <laughs> uh, This has been the Doctorpreneurs Podcast, the intersection of health, aging, and entrepreneurship. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Dr. Arun. Bye.